Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Scripture is the Word of God. It is God's communication to humanity. And when you understand Scripture properly, it can say so much more to the reader. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Luke and chapter 3. Luke's Gospel and chapter 3. Now, I mentioned how wonderful the Bible is. The Bible is literature, and that's important that we recognize it as literature. The reason being is this. There are certain literary devices that if you understand them and you utilize them, you can understand that literature, the message of it, in a better manner. And this is certainly true with the Word of God. We're going to see in this third chapter that Luke He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Scripture is heavenly communication. It is without error. It is perfect. And therefore, we need to see that Scripture communicates to us in a way that can be understood in a more beneficial manner. For example, when we open up chapter 3, we see that the author is doing something. It may be surprising to you, but it certainly wasn't anything that was surprising to the readers back then. They knew what Luke wanted to get across. And here's what I'm talking about. Look at chapter 3, verse 1, Luke's Gospel. It says here, But in the 15th year of the rule of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah and the patriarch of Galilee was Herod. So we look here and we see men, men of history being spoken of. Now Pontius Pilate for many, many years, many people did not think that Pontius Pilate was a real individual. And people would discredit the Gospels because there was never anything written about Pontius Pilate outside the Gospels. But in Caesarea, they found a plaque that was put up in order to dedicate a room. And the philanthropist that gave the money was none other than Pontius Pilate. And that proved that he was a real historical figure. And when we look at this first verse, it speaks about Herod, it speaks about Pontius Pilate, and it speaks about Tiberius Caesar, all known people of history. And therefore, Luke begins this third chapter in a way that tells the reader what he's writing 
and what he has written in the first two chapters, we're speaking about history, literally events that took place. Not some type of folklore, not some type of myth, but historical truth that comes from heaven with a heavenly purpose. Now, again, I mentioned last week that numbers are important in the Bible. And here in this first verse of chapter 3, we have the number 15. Now, 15, if we write it out in Hebrew, we would say tet vav, 9 plus 6. That's how it's written with the letters tet and vav. Why do we use those letters? Well, literally, it would be yud hey. But the problem, the reason why people don't use those letters today to write that number 15 is because yud hey is yah, one of the names of God. Now, here, the number 15th is understood as relating to God. That's how the readers would have understood what's taking place here. And what Luke wanted to do was this. He says in the 15th year, and I'm sure it was in the 15th year, but this all came about providentially in order to tell the reader in these historical events with these historical figures, Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, and Herod, God, that number 15 speaks about the Lord. God is at work at this time. God is moving in this location at this time for his purposes. Look again at verse 1. But in the 15th year of the rule of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate governing Judah, and the patriarch of Galilee, Herod. Then we move on and it says, and Philip, his brother, all of this is historical fact. Philip, his brother, was the patriarch of Lituria and of the region of Trachonitos. And then we conclude this verse by saying another man, Linsanius, he was the patriarch of a place called Abilene. So we have historical information, individuals, locations, people, in order to say what we're studying is indeed historical fact. This is not a legend. This is not uh, writings in order to simply convey a spiritual message. All of these things are real events, historical. That's what Luke is saying. Now, as we move on into the next verse, verse 2, we see next, after setting a historical time frame, we see that there's a spiritual component that he wants to give. Also, these two men that are mentioned also tell us about time as well, but from a different perspective, not the perspective of man, but the perspective of God, God is at work. Why? It mentions, and the high priest being Anna and Caiaphas. These two individuals, high priests. Now, why are the priests mentioned? Couldn't it have been someone else? 
Certainly, there were other known figures, but they mentioned these two men, these priests. Why? Didn't mention any of the sages, any of the, the spiritual leaders at that time, but mentioned priests. Why? Because priests are mediators between God and man. And this sets an understanding a hermeneutical context for us to be able to discern what god is telling us and that is god is working mediation priests were supposed to offer up to god but this offering was for the benefit of the people bringing them into unity with god bringing them and healing a relationship that was broken because of sin so it's not just by chance it has a significant message it conveys something to us that these two high priests are mentioned and then in the midst of that talking about priests doing the work of mediation between god and man notice what is said and there came about the word of god upon john now we see another priest not a high priest but rather from a priestly family we knew that from chapter one that his father zachariah he was serving as priests offering up the incense offering when when the angel spoke to him about his wife conceiving a child his barren wife these two of old age all of that is reminding us that God is at work at this time. He's working uniquely and with a purpose. And we saw that purpose last week at the end of, of chapter 2. And that had to do with redemption, God's redeeming work to bring reconciliation between man and God. Once more, look at verse 2 where it says, and it came about the rima that word it is a proclamation with power that produces an outcome it's not just a pattern for what god is up to but god is at work things are happening that's the difference between the greek word logos and the greek word rima so once again it came about the word of god upon john the son of Zachariah. And where did this word come? It came to John, the son of Zachariah, when he was in the wilderness. Now again, everything that's recorded in the scripture has purpose. I've shared with you many times that whenever this word wilderness, some Bibles, and this is fine, will translate it desert. It is a place of emptiness a place that is really not uh, uh, where life is sustained naturally and the wilderness is mentioned in the scripture or that concept of desert they're mentioned in the scripture for a purpose god brought the people into the desert why to teach them to trust him to depend upon him and what the scripture is saying now is this god is at work but you will only benefit from what god's up to is if you recognize 
your absolute, your total dependence upon him and realizing that dependence should cause you to trust him completely. So let's just pause for a moment and again, make this scripture practical, make it personal as well and ask yourself this question. Do I recognize my absolute dependence upon God? And if so, if that's true, then you're going to be wanting to trust him and willing to depend upon him and believe in him and follow him and do what his word says. See, many times people, they perish spiritually and they will be the recipient of God's eternal condemnation and torment. Why? Not because of a lack of knowledge, but because of an unwillingness to trust God. So are you? willing to trust god do you understand that you in every sense in every area of your life that you are dependent upon him and you must trust him if there's going to be any hope first hope of reconciliation finding favor finding god's mercy and grace that will change you into a new creation whereby the righteousness of god will be upon you and that you can have a relationship an eternal relationship with god if you don't realize your dependence and you're unwilling to trust him then you are without hope and you may scoff at that right now you might set that aside but i assure you there's a day coming when everyone and don't uh, ignore this when everyone is going to have to bow the knee and and confess with their mouth that yeshua he is lord now the wisdom is this that you confess that he's the lord that you invite him to be your savior that you acknowledge your need of forgiveness because of sin your sin and my sin and you believe that not only he died but that he rose from that 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 tomb and because of that he can be savior the savior of your life he can bring victory eternal victory rather than eternal condemnation you choose you are going to confess him in the future the question is this if you do it now today depending upon him trusting him you will be born again and you will have eternal life if you wait until after your death at the time of god's judgment you're going to confess you can't help but acknowledge that he's the lord of lords and the king of kings but at that time it's going to be too late so what's happening god is at work in history how's he at work bringing mediation and he's using a specific one a priest by the name of john the son of zachariah and there he is in the wilderness verse 3 and he came into all the regions around the jordan this is the jordan river and again nothing is in the scripture is written by chance in that area there are several different rivers but he came to the yarden the jordan 
Now I mention the Yarden because that comes from a Hebrew word Yarad or Laredit in the infinitive and that means to go down. That word is a word of humility. And the fact that the scripture speaks about John being in all the region of the Jordan, that gives this, this scripture, this passage, a, a context of humility. And you must be humble to trust God. You must understand your inadequacy to rely upon him. And this is what this scripture is speaking about. God is at work, but you're only going to respond to what God's doing if you're humble and you recognize your absolute dependence upon him. So John is in the region of the Jordan, and what is he doing? He is proclaiming. He is proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Why? For the remission of sins. Now, if anything good spiritually is going to happen in your life, you need to repent. And repentance, repentance is agreeing with God. Repentance is acknowledging sin in your life and, and not only acknowledging sin is bad, it's wrong, it's not God's way, but also it's a desire to turn away from sin and turn specifically to God. So let me ask you, does that describe you? Now, we all struggle with sin. We're in this body of, of death, this body of sin. And therefore, we have a sinful nature, that carnal, that fleshly uh, component of, of our being. And we struggle with that. We all do. The question is this. Do you want to turn away from sin? And do you want to embrace a righteous God? Repentance is this. When you agree with God's righteous standards and you say, yes, this is what's right. Sin is wrong. I need to turn away from sin and embrace the truth of God. Now, we embrace it here, but we're also called to live it out. But we can't do that in this state. And repentance, it's not just a desire to turn away from sin, but it's a recognition of the one who can make that a reality. And I'm speaking about Messiah. So John comes on the scene. The context is humility, the Jordan River. He's proclaiming baptism. And baptism involves a few things. Baptism involves a change in, in status. For example, if you look at the scripture, many things were baptized, not just people, but also uh, uh, plates and utensils. And when you baptize them, it changed their status. For that which was unusable to that which that could be used and could be used for a spiritual purpose. So what one who is baptized is saying is this. He's being baptized because he wants a change. He wants to be used by God. This is this turning to God. I approach God not just because he can meet my needs, he can bless me and all of that. He can and he does and he will. But first and foremost, I want to embrace the purposes of God, his righteous call 
upon my life and it begins with this this repentance a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and i would just ask you a very simple question and it's this do you recognize that you need forgiveness you need to be a recipient of god's mercy nothing is as precious nothing is as needed for humanity as the forgiveness of sins this is foundation to our faith so we are hopeless without the forgiveness of sins this is what the scripture is revealing to us verse 4 as it has been written in the book and we're talking about the bible the book of the words of isaiah the prophet and what did isaiah the prophet say a voice crying in and this is the second time crying in the wilderness the second time that is mentioned crying in the wilderness preparing that that you should prepare the way of the lord and this is what john is all about preparing the way of the lord laying the foundation so one can recognize messiah and respond to him so let me ask you another question have you responded to the lord and when i say lord i'm not just speaking about uh, god in a general sense but speaking specifically about the lord yeshua that is jesus christ let me make something very plain something very clear there's only one savior there's not many ways into the kingdom of god but there's only one way and his name is yeshua it is only by his name that we can find that remission that forgiveness of sin he's the redeemer he's going to be the one as in this account the one who laid down his life for you and me no one else could pay the price why because only he is without sin only he can do that work of redemption so to prepare the way of the lord and to make straight his path so john's message of repentance this forgiveness of sins it prepares us for the lord to enter into our life and for us to begin to move upon his pathway that's what we should desire his way and not my way why my way is rooted in sin god's way is rooted in righteousness god's way manifests his glory god's way leads to blessing god's way leads to satisfaction and and worship that is is unto a praise to god that's where joy is experienced that's where life is found and this is what john is doing look now to to verse verse 5 and every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked things they will be straight and the difficult things they will be a way of of smoothness a way that is pleasant 
So what's he speaking about here, about crooked things being straight, valleys being filled, and mountains and hills being, being made low? What's he talking about? A change. A change in all of these things relate to creation. Now, why is that important? Again, I began our study by speaking about literature. And when we understand the Bible as literature, we will learn something, and that is this. God uses creation, both the first creation, the heaven and earth that was made and we read about in the book of Genesis, but he also speaks about a change that's coming to creation. And that creation change is the establishment of the kingdom of God. And that's the foundation that John is laying. That is the purpose that Messiah was sent into this world. His work of redemption has kingdom purposes. So look again. It says here that he is going to, to make those difficult ways, he's going to make them smooth. And then look at our last verse, verse 6. And all flesh. I love that. That is a broad term, all flesh. Let me ask you, who does that eliminate? Does it eliminate any uh, human being, any ethnic group, any color of skin, any language that someone speaks? No, it is the most inclusive term, all flesh, all humanity is what he's saying. Look again, verse 6. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. That is why Messiah came, in order to bring us salvation. When you hear that term salvation, what comes into your mind? Salvation is a word of victory. Remember that. When it speaks about salvation, it's speaking about victory in the fullest sense, physically and spiritually. And I may not know you, but I can know one thing about everyone. And that is, you need God's victory. Those who reject the gospel, they are rejecting victory in their life. And the tragic thing is, if you reject that, you are going to have eternal defeat, eternal condemnation, eternal torture. But if you humble yourself, if you realize your absolute dependence upon God and the work that his only begotten son, Messiah, did, and you receive that acknowledging God's standards, turning away from sin and embracing and desiring righteousness in your life, then what's going to happen? God is going to give you victory. And that victory is free. He paid it. You don't. You receive it. And you don't have to work for it you receive it as a free gift. That's the good news of the gospel. So the question is, do you want what's being offered? What does the scripture say? And all flesh will see the salvation of God. They'll see it. But the question is, are they going to receive him? Remember, salvation is in the person of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. That's why his name is Yeshua, which means Savior. He is the only one that can save you and give you that eternal victory. Won't you humbly and gratefully receive it?
Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.